You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. so far you know what my favorite thing is about this october so far is that i've got and and i'm not i'm not kissing anybody's ass here but i've got richard and beth providing tons of content on the website and it's making me really really happy because it's made my month a whole lot easier i struggle every single year with 31 days of Halloween because you know any other time of year I can kind of figure out what kind of con whatever I want to put up I put up now it's got to be spooky and it's tough man to to keep that going for a whole month and and this is a long month too it's 31 days there's one more day depending on how things fall but anyway that's been the best thing so far about this month also I'm thoroughly enjoying watching Tales from the Crypt uh, I still haven't picked up the second season because no Walmart has had it. I, I don't know what happened there. Uh, two Walmarts had uh, several seasons available, and now it seems like they all just have the first season, and I haven't been able to find the second season. I don't want to get it from Amazon because it's like 15 bucks there, and it was only 10 each for the rest of the seasons, which is a great deal. But I'm having a blast watching them. I'm, I'm on the sixth season now. And I'm getting into ones that I don't remember quite as well. The The third through fifth seasons, I, as soon as the episode started, almost every single one of them, I remembered. I, I, oh, yeah, this is this one. And I still thoroughly enjoyed them. Uh, the one with Christopher Reeve is still my favorite one. But I, I'm into season six and seeing some cool stuff that I, I don't remember. So it's nice getting surprised and, and uh, whatever else. And then season seven that they all are British because the production moved to England. So all of the stories are, are with British people. And I don't think I've seen any of those. So that sounds interesting. Uh, what else is going on? This weekend, Walker Stalker Con in Atlanta. We will be there. Uh, I don't know times exactly. I don't know how long I'll, I'll be there each day. I'll be there Friday and Saturday. Uh, I believe Beth V will be there Friday and Saturday. Uh, unfortunately, Richard uh, won't be making it out. That's too bad. But we're going to be out there having fun, checking things out, and we'll see what goes on. And Saturday night, Saturday night, I finally get to experience Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse, which we will be talking about in more detail on this very episode because today's guest is none other than Shane Morton, the mind behind Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse, uh, it's Silver Scream Spook Show. Uh, it's another one of those things where I could go on and on and on. Just listen to the interview. The The guy is probably the hardest working guy I know. 
uh, and have known. I've known him for uh, almost close to 20 years now, and he's always doing stuff. Uh, Just constantly one. Well, not no. I was going to say one project after another. That's not correct. Three projects after three projects is is what this guy does. He's never working on just one thing. He's painting. He's sculpting. He's working on an event. He's working in a band. He's tattooing. He's due to... I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't understand how he stays so motivated all the time. I can't do it. Uh, and I'm fascinated by that. Uh, people with work ethics fascinate me, which is why, you know, one of the reasons why I want to talk to Shane. I mean, obviously, he's a great guy with a lot of great ideas, a very interesting individual, but really the work ethic was was one thing that made me want to talk to him. Uh, And then later on in the year, I've got another interview that I've actually already done, but I've just got to put together and figure out where to slot it in uh, with another gentleman who has an insane work ethic. These guys fascinate me like they're aliens or something. Uh, because I, I certainly don't have that. Uh, you know, I may appear to do a lot, but I don't feel like I do. I, I, I And also, I have poor work habits. I, I'm not good with time management and stuff. But we're not here to talk about me, are we? Maybe a little, sometimes. Uh, what else is going on in October? Let's take a moment to reflect on October so far, check me out on Instagram. One of the fun things I've been doing, uh, find Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram. I've been doing a monster a day all month long. So every day I will put up a picture of a different monster from my fairly large toy collection and I'll put a little description up and I'm, I've gotten to using, I officially endorse Pixlr. It's P-I-X-L-R. It's an app. Uh, it's on the Android. I don't know about the iPhone, but it's a fun little photo editor that every time I use it, I kind of find a new feature or a new thing, or, or it's really really cool. And I've been using it to to doll up my monster pictures, which is kind of inappropriate wording, I guess, but it's really cool. I've been having fun with it. So find me on Instagram, follow me, check that stuff out. It's really fun. Uh, it also goes up on Twitter which is Phantom Turbomoker. Uh Just take the consonants out of the second name. And, and of course, they pop up on Facebook as well. But, I, you know, I like Instagram. I think right now Instagram is my favorite of the social medias because you, you get a visual. You get the hashtag as much as you want, which is has gotten me tons of followers, uh, tons of interaction. I mean, that's how I got the interview with uh with tim clark with the dark crystal guy through instagram that's crazy man Uh, and it's it's honestly i feel like instagram has served me better than anything else has and that's probably not fair i'm sure facebook has has really gotten me more reach but uh, instagram maybe is more instant gratification instantification gram i don't know whatever but uh yeah check that out that's really fun I don't have anything else specific to talk about. We talk a bit about the, the well, after the end of the month, actually. It's November 1st. Uh, the Monster Bash returns. If you remember the Monster Bash, uh, and, you, and if you're not from around here, you certainly don't, but it used to happen at the Starlight Drive-In, and they would shoot, do a double feature of horror flicks, and there would be parties and bands playing and everything else, and it was really awesome. Well, now we're doing the Monster Bash 
at the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse on November 1st. We talk about it a little bit in the interview. And right now, I've got some words for you from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse. The creators of the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse once again have gone to great lengths to bring you the newest and most exciting fully immersive Halloween horror attractions where you take part in realistic zombie apocalypse scenarios. You will be terrified. You will run for your life. You will feel like you are living in the zombie apocalypse as you play a role to survive. Will you make it? People have had heart attacks, soiled their pants, took the chicken exit after the first room. What will you do when the zombies come for you? It's hard to say that without saying brother afterward. Uh, prices for the zombie apocalypse. The main attraction is 25 bucks. The world-famous haunted tour attraction, the zombie apocalypse, will have you running for your life as you search for safety in the middle of a disease outbreak. For $25, the Zombie Killer. Arm yourself with 100 rounds and a semi-automatic paintball gun and defend yourself against hordes of living dead in the deep, dark four acres of woods. For 45 bucks, you do both, both attractions. That's saving you $5 to just go ahead and do both of them. Parking is $3 per vehicle. The box office opens at 7.30 p.m. Shows start running at 8 p.m. That's every Friday and Saturday in October to be capped off on November 1st by the return of the Monster Bash. 3,000 square foot dance party inside. We'll talk more about the Monster Bash later in the month. But for right now, just know... Go out to AZA. You can find AtlantaZombie.com for tickets. It'll tell you all about it and give you location. But it's Atlanta's most original and unique horror attraction. I love Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse. For the last four years, it has made my Halloween season. It's truly, as I said, unique and original. It's awesome. And I can't wait to do it this year. But first, we got to sit down and talk to the man that I have to thank, that we all have to thank for the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse. And here's an interesting thing, is I went to Shane's house to do this interview, and it, you can tell, I mean, not just from the sound, because it sounds different, because it's, you know, I had my voice recorder, uh, so if you've listened to any of the episodes uh, on NeedlessThingsSite.com, also available on iTunes and Stitcher. If you've listened to any of the episodes at conventions or whatever, you know that the, there's just a different sound when it's when it's done that way. Uh, but I feel like the conversation it's it's different, man. I like doing it live. I really do. It's it gives you a whole a whole different dimension. I, I feel like and things flow more freely. It's it's just more interesting to do it live. So anyway, it was really cool to go out to Shane's house. Uh, you get a little description of that in just a minute. But first, I want to play for you uh, Super X-13. This is one of the bands that Shane was, was in, is, still is in from time to time. And this is a song of theirs called Goat Sucker Fever. And really, I think that just speaks for itself. Ladies and gentlemen, Super X-13! Thank you. 
Super X show at the Masquerade, and you guys had the big, crazy stage set. I can't. It had to be the building one because I think the one with all the buildings and stuff was before the Mad Scientist Lab one. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. It maybe the lab was first. Then I just remember you we guys were doing the Super X thirteen spook shows. That's when I first created Professor Morte. Okay. And we would come out and. You know, it was kind of like Alice Cooper stuff. We were chopping people's heads off and yeah. doing magic tricks and turning girls into gorillas and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we did the thing with um, with the build. I think the buildings were later because we were doing the whole big glam monster thing. And we had all the buildings and people were running behind them with gunpowder, blowing them up. That's back when you could do that. Yeah, you know what? And that, now that I'm thinking about it, the lab was because the buildings show i was just there for it to yeah. watch it the lab stuff actually helped with load out and load in and all that crap like i was working that one, yeah and that was the one where i met you yeah we premiered a lot of that at the cotton club too yeah so that would have been earlier so i don't even think the cotton club was around when we were doing the building exploding stuff okay but every time i used to put on those platform shoes i felt like godzilla so i'd have to <laughs> stomp on stuff you know but so, yeah, the Super X-13 was fun stuff, you know? I think that band could have done a lot more if we weren't so, um, you know, I was, I was focused on my tattoo career at the time, you know, and I was, um, we just weren't as focused. And the other two, you know, there's always that guy in the band that does all the work. Mm -hmm. And, and I loved him. Timmy James and Kelly, but every time we do a reunion, I rem it reminds me of why we didn't go far because <laughs> they're they you know they well, weren't the hardest working guys in showbiz you know. Well, it seems like a lot of situations you get into though, you're the guy that does a lot of the work. Like you're you're anytime I'm talking about work ethic, your name comes up. You're always do you're doing something yeah. now. You're yeah. working now. Like, oh yeah, I never stop working. And people say that all the time, like, we never hang out anymore. And I'm like, well, there's kind of a thing, you know, like, if you're hanging out with me, it's because we're working. Right. You know? Yeah. Because I'm always working. Where does that come from? How do you, I mean, because I don't have that, man. Where Where do you get that work ethic? Well, I'm going to die soon. So I need to make sure I get as much stuff out there as possible. And by soon, I, I've been saying this since I was 16. Right, right, you know, right. I, never, I was such a wild kid, I never thought I'd be 18. But, you know, there's not that much time. So I need to put as much stuff out there as possible. You know, and my parent, my parents too, you know, the work ethic of my family has always been really, you know, you know, working class. My, um, my grandfather was black Irish and my mother, the, so I've got the, the black Irish Scottish and I've got the um the Polish and they're all just hard workers. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. So but my father was an extremely hard worker, never stopped. He'd come home from welding all day as black as soot and then he'd clean up and we'd start working on projects around the house or he'd start, you know, getting his guitar chops better or it never stopped. So yeah, house. so you totally came up with that just work, work, work and and 
to to love the work. But yeah, but it's not work if it's fun work. Like that's the other thing. It's like sure I'm working all the time, but I'm not digging ditches. Right. You know, right. I'm like building, um, sculpting or I'm painting. Yeah. And uh, you know sometimes it's digging ditches, right? Because we're digging graves for stuff or whatever. Sometimes it is hard labor. Like just both my thumbs you can see are, are split. Mm-hmm. I I literally had to take two days off this week because. Both my thumbs are splitting both these pads, and my feet are split because of all the work at AZA. So, Damn. for two days, now I'm back, as you see. Yeah, There's all right. the stuff set up, but for right. two days, I didn't paint or sculpt or anything. I just I kept my fingers wrapped because they've split from all the work I've been doing. Yeah, just just to paint a picture for the listeners, we're, we're sitting in a, a combination residence and mad science laboratory with masks and sculpts and paint and stuff just sitting all over the place uh it's this is an amazing setup man yeah it's gotta be inspiring before right yeah yeah i came out for the mcw the video stuff yeah so you know like every room here is a theme our kitchen's a a mad scientist lab madeline's gonna have bubbling tubes and a tesla coil and this room is creature from the black lagoon king kong jungle room like every Everything has a theme, but yeah, I I always keep myself overstimulated. You know, when yeah. people come into my, you know, they think this place is crazy. Come out to the AZA lab, and people are like, "Wow!" You know, your eyes can't get a rest. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I think that's important to stay stimulated. And I want these young kids that are coming in there. Some of these, you know, Bella, my new thirteen-year-old assistant down there working you know i want her to see frank frazetta and bernie Wrights and then yeah. things that she might not see so much you know well and that that's definitely been a theme of everything i i've you know since i've known you because when i that first time i saw super x i'd never seen anything like that it, it opened my eyes to something else one it opened my eyes to local music because i hadn't you know i'd been working at the masquerade and all those local bands come through and you know they're doing their thing and they're playing rock but it's not always, you know, exciting stuff that you particularly want to hear. Yeah, or look at. Uh, yeah, or look at. Especially when look at. You got some guys in, you know, dirty t-shirts and baggy pants, and you're like, eh, that's not, yeah, you can't. They don't have a presence. You can't. Well, you can't do that. You know, if you're going to be on stage, and I learned this at an early age. You know, I first started acting on stage at four, and when if you're going to be on stage, you better do something good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not good enough. To just go up there in jeans and a t-shirt. Right. And play rock and roll. I don't think. You know, and I was a big fan growing up of Alice Cooper. I've got a, a framed, one of the full, the killer album folds out. Yeah. And there's, you know, this great image of him hanging there. And I've had that hanging in my bedroom since I was four years old. My parents are big Cooper fans. And it was, uh, when Kiss came out, I hated him. Cause I was like, no these kidding. guys are ripping off Alice Cooper. They're terrible. They're, they sound like the Bay City Rollers. They're not, you know, like when I was in Alice Cooper, he's singing about Dwight Fry. You know, mm-hmm. and at five years old, I was a big fan of Dwight Fry and stuff. You know, and um, my dad came home one day with Kiss Alive. And he goes, hold on a minute. And he played, um, I think it's side three or four with 100,000 years going into Black Diamond. He's like, I know you think these guys are cheesy, but give this a listen. I was probably, I don't know, seven years old or whatever. Yeah. And um, I was like, okay, now I'm a Kiss fan. <laughs> and in 79, we came to see my, he took me to see my first concert, which was Kiss at the Omni here in Atlanta. Oh, man, the Omni. And um, 
it blew my mind, you know. And I've, you know, now I'm a, a, a big Kiss fan, mm. you know, or, and was then. But Alice Cooper still blows Kiss away. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, I tell people all the time, I'm like this because I was, I was raised by the Adams family. The Adams family without money. Right. You know, and that's also why I'm like this because my father taught me how to make stuff out of nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm able to put on these big shows. You know, the AZA looks like a million bucks and me and Johnny have done that because we use all of the, Sets left over from the TV commercials we shoot at right. Adult Swim and and everything. People throw stuff away, you know, and we we dumpster dive from film sets and stuff and keep it on. That's how we've able to put on the show that looks like a million bucks and it hasn't cost us anything close. Well, I I think there's definitely something to be said for having a limited budget because like if you have all the money in the world thrown at you, I, I think that actually hampers creativity. Yeah. Even Orson Welles said it. He said an artist without restraints doesn't make good art. Yeah. You know, because you've got to be able to think on your toes and stuff. Like, I want I want to show you this new Gunpowder Gray video that we did because it looks fucking crazy. I mean, it looks mm-hmm. like we spent a lot of money and a lot of time. But I basically directed all the effects sequences not knowing what we were going to do. I just brought a couple of hampers of stuff and heads that might have looked like people. Yeah. And I uh, got... um you know, a bunch of blood pumps and stuff, and we came up with these ideas. But um, that eyeball that got pulled out of that guy's head was a paper towel that I had rolled up really quick and, <laughs> and put a piece of scotch tape over it so it was bright. But it looks like the guy's getting his eyeball ripped out of his head, but we were coming up with this stuff on the spot, you know. Wow. But, um, yeah, you got to think fast. You know, like, I'm a big fan of Ed Wood, and I, th- I think that Ed Wood did amazing things with um with uh with having no money like i think his movies are great you know well his passion comes through yeah i mean that that's you know regardless of of anything else you say i'd rather watch a a project that somebody's passionate about than something that somebody just shit out because they had you know the rights to a license or something like that you know that's more interesting um Let's talk a, a little bit more about like Super X and the tattooing because th- those were the kind of the key things in the beginning. How, one, how'd you get started tattooing? Well, that was funny. I was airbrushing T-shirts at a punk rock um, shop that we had um, in Little Five Points called uh, T-shirt Dragnet, and we had like comic books and monster models and. Um, you know, I was airbrushing t-shirts there. Airbrushed t-shirts were done by then. I was airbrushing t-shirts as a 14-year-old kid in the 80s when it was hot. You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was making so much money. I bought my own car at 15 and, and it was just a crazy time because, uh, you know, I had my own, my own business in a mall when I was 16 years old airbrushing t-shirts on, in, in St. Simons. Um, but I, uh, um, I still love airbrush and I was doing like punk rock and monster airbrush stuff there. Yeah. And Walt Clark comes in one day and he's like, man, cause I, he, he's like, I want you to paint me this like rotting Viking kind of puss head thing. And he's like, man, you, you know, you should really be tattooing. And I was like, tattooing. Like I grew up in the South, you know, even though my family's from up, all up in New York, but we moved down to the South, believe it or not, to escape racism. <laughs> <laughs> my my my, fam, my father's side of the family is all from New York, 
and my mother was raised in the in the south and there was this big the final thing that happened is um, excuse my language, but up there they were calling Brazil nuts nigger toes. Mm-hmm. And my mother had yeah, a yeah. fit, and she said that if she hears another person say nigger toe around her sons, and they were moving back to the south, and we did, you know, it caused a rift in our family for a little while. But oh, wow. She couldn't stand the racism up there, which is weird because everybody thinks about the south. Well, it's, it's a different kind of racism. Well, the south, the south has such a bad rap for that, but uh, my wife's from Syracuse. Yeah. And her, you know, her grandparents moved down here, and they're, it, it's not, uh, it's not a vicious kind, but it is, uh, they're racist, man. It, yeah. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, not, it's just that, you know, we, we lost the war, so, yeah. <laughs> so we get the worst rap. But it, yeah, it's everywhere, and it yeah. sucks. It does. And I, you know, I grew up in a family where, um, that stuff wasn't tolerated at all. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't even re- remember hearing the N-word until much later. I didn't hear it until I was in high school uh, and started, like, because I, I had pretty much the same batch of friends through, like, elementary and middle school. Yeah. That, you know, they were all different colors and nobody really cared about any of that stuff. But then when I got to high school and was exposed to kind of that broader spectrum of people... Yeah. Is when that really, like, I, I probably heard the word before then, but that's when I became aware of it as, like, people are still saying this shit yeah. like they did in, like, movies in, like, the 60s. Really? Yeah. Seriously? Like, it's yeah. still out there? And sure. now it's out there more than ever because now the the rap stuff has pushed it, so it's just, it's just all pervasive now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's something we're never going to get rid of because of that. I think. I mean, I don't know. Well, it's just people are different. I mean, yeah. that, that's really what it comes down to, and it's uh, there's a lot of politics go into it too. I mean, you know, as long as everybody's hating everybody else, oh yeah, those guys keep us divided. Right, you know, right. It's, it's the old the old divide and conquer rule. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely a huge part of it. Yeah, I used to talk about with the that a lot with. Um, because you know, black cat tattoo—that was a big thing with me. I wanted to be one of the, the the first tattoo shop in Atlanta that wasn't gonna like um, gouge you for being black, or yeah. you know, like you know, painless Paul at Ace would would use bad language. I had actually had gone into tattoo shops early and seen swastikas and stuff on the wall and mm. things like that, and I didn't want that. We had like a six CD changer. I always made sure there was like you know, a, a rap thing in there to balance it out, you know. But uh I still hate, like, thug rap stuff, you know. Like, to me, Grant, what happened? Why? How did it go from Grandmaster Flash and it being so cool and fucking and positive to just being, you know, kill, kill, shoot, crush, destroy? And, you know, I ended up being, like, one of the, the, the one of the main tattoo artists for, like, the Shakur family and stuff. I'm probably, at the time, I was probably the only white guy that had ever been to the Shakur compound. Oh, wow. You know. But I was tattooing Castro and, you know, the Outlaw Immortals. They were all named after, um, you know, dictators and stuff. Yeah, and I had yeah, tattooed yeah. Castro and I had tattooed Napoleon and I had tattooed Idi Amin and I had tattooed... Stalin and 
uh, and and one day I was tattooing, uh, I don't remember what dictator it was, and I was like, hey, you know, when are you guys going to bring Hitler to me? And they were like, Shane, you crazy, what you talking about? You crazy. I was like, Stalin killed twice as many people as Hitler. Yeah. Like, you guys don't know what you're playing with, you know? Yeah. And I would always fuck with them, and we would joke around, because I was big, I'm big in conspiracy stuff, and mm-hmm. they... I, I came up with this idea for a satanic rap band and not a lame one like the Gravediggers, like satanic rap band that, that were like gore where they dress in black KKK outfits and they were yeah, called yeah, Black yeah. Devil and they would sing about like, <laughs> you know, pumping girls up with drugs so they could have crack babies so they could sacrifice them to the devil and they would hang white, big fat white cops on stage. I, I don't think the world is ready for, for black hip hop gore. I'm, I'm ready. But they would be like, Shane, you are fucked up. Nobody's going to buy it. No black person's going to buy that shit. That shit scares black people. And I said, I was like, Castro, there's no such thing as the devil. Right. There's no such thing as this, this, this heavy metal stuff that you guys think is scary. It's as scary as Dungeons and Dragons or an HP Lovecraft story. You know what's fucking scary is a fucking pissed off 14 year old kid with a gun. Yeah. And that's what you guys are creating. I'm creating these goofy monsters, and, and Freddy Krueger, that's not scary. Mm. What's scary is a fucking pissed off kid. He doesn't even know why he's pissed off. I was like, what are you guys doing? You know? And uh, a lot of those guys are dead, I think. You know? But I ended up becoming pretty good friends with Castro over the years. I hope he's okay. I had to leave the tattoo scene because of it. It got so mired, in, especially in Atlanta, with the, with the gangster culture and everything and to me like i got started in tattooing in 92 there was nobody drawing no no i was designing tattoos for famous tattoo artists because mm-hmm. they couldn't draw really they, they would just copy stuff so when i started tattooing um there was a very small group of us it was like paul booth and guy Aitchison and dean DeKine and um uh all these me all these people that um you'd never hear about anymore really because i guess they they got sick of the scene too or well i wouldn't know i don't really deal with it anymore but it was exciting you know because i was changing tattooing i was having these old guys come up to me going you can't do that with a tattoo you know what 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 do you think you're doing putting a variated line quality and and light sources and things like that you can't do that with a tattoo and i was like uh, I just did it. You know, I just did it. I had been tattooing for six months. I did this giant tattoo on Angelique, the girl at the comic book shop next door, you know, from mm-hmm. her ankle to her ass. I have been tattooing six months, and I won a first-place national award at the National Tattoo Association, which was a huge deal. I was the youngest person to ever do that. I was 23 or something, I think, 22, 23 years old. So I was like the youngest guy to win a first place award from the National Tattoo Association. I've been tattooing for six months. And you were just working somewhere at that point. You hadn't decided you wanted to have your own shop. No, I was at Ancient Art with Tony okay. Tony Olivas and Albie Heiss. And Tony and Albie had a big falling out. And we, um, Albie and I, um, turned it into Black Cat. And we were okay. going to, we did something also that apparently, um, people still recognize us for is we were one of the maybe the first shop to not have flash displayed only paintings every artist that worked there was a was a painter and a sculptor and we would do art together and we would um 
do it was not a tattoo shop. We were artists that were tattooing, and it was it was really exciting and really cutting edge stuff. And um, you know, I, I love it, and I love what we did with it. But the scene got so big and so crazy, and with the television shows, and and I kind of prophesied it that I had a I had a joke that we we're going to put cameras up in the shop and have a reality this is before reality show we we're going to call it tattoo shop yeah. just to show all the craziest stuff that went on and they're like i tell these stories and nobody believes it they're like no that did not happen i'm like oh yeah it happened you know and it would have made a great tv show but um now it's all the rage and it's exactly the opposite of what our show was going to be you know but now Tattoo has lost all of its power. It's lost all of its occultism. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, 10 years ago, it's almost 10 years ago that I retired from the public with tattooing. I, I said, tattooing has lost its power. Now that it's all over the television, there's all these magazines that I first saw it starting to happen with the, con- with the conventions. You know, everybody's doing these tattoo conventions. It's starting to get so mainstream and so over. It's just there's too much of it, and it and it loses its quality. Then it's happening with horror conventions now too. You know, I I I want to say I remember you talking about that when they had the first Atlanta tattoo convention. Uh, I don't remember what year it was years ago, but I I feel like I remember you not being totally in favor of that. Was it Sacred Heart? I think that ran. Yeah, ran those. I was involved. And happy with the first couple of them, but then all this, this tattoo wars and stuff started happening. And then it started being where these cliques were happening. And people thought that, um, that I didn't take tattooing seriously because I'd show up in a Dracula cape and makeup and I'd do monster tattoos while talking like Professor Morte all day. And people were like, um, this, this guy Shane, he's an asshole. He's making a joke out of our business, but I wasn't. You know, I was the first tattoo artist in Atlanta to go all um, all disposable with disposable tubes. Mm-hmm. I was involved with Chris Sperry and Tony Olivas. Chris Sperry is a good friend of mine. He's a top pathologist in the Southeast about trying to make um, rules for for sterilization and stuff because if I was going to have a tattoo shop there wouldn't be an autoclave in it well, there wouldn't be a need for one because everything would be disposable and that was something I definitely you know at the time I, I all I knew at the time was Black, Black Cat was a fun place to go I, I would get excited about going there not just because I was getting a tattoo but because it was because cool, you knew it was going to be fun and, yeah, and yeah it was a supportive place too like everybody in there we'd talk about movies and music and like just it, it was such a it was going somewhere to hang out it wasn't uh, yeah. just going in and you know it wasn't like a doctor visit where you ended up with a tattoo oh no and it was great and if and at that time if there were traveling artists you know like if Timothy Hoyer or Harley Good, and you know we're in town. That's where they were coming to tattoo there because we were going to have a black. You know, Jim Stacy moved to Atlanta to to join forces with with me and help you know be involved with it because it was that fucking exciting, you know. And then it it just got so it got diluted, you know. Yeah. Like so, we we lost the you know, and I still love it. You know, I've got a back piece, a King Kong back piece done in the style of um, nude descending a st- the staircase in a futurist style. Like, I still do work here and there 
but not I don't tattoo the public and right. you know like but I still love the form mm-hmm. you know I just I just wish wish the scene had had its occult mystery to it back and we're never going to get it back because no, now no, it's all it's, over the internet it's gone now well and everybody's got tattoos now I mean it's yeah. it's, it's uh it's so widespread, and so, you know, kids are going and getting sleeves Yeah, as soon as they turn 18, which I think is crazy pants. I love my oh, tattoos, yeah. but, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you right now, unless you know for a fact you're going to go into, you know, a, a creative line of work or, or something, like... Don't don't get that shit, man. Oh yeah, don't you gotta be don't careful. do it. Yeah, kids yeah. getting their first tattoos on their necks. Yeah, and oh, that was gosh, something yeah. that we did too. Like we would do these things, and it would cause problems. No hand tattoos, no neck tattoos, yeah, yeah, unless yeah. you're covered. We had these rules, and and no color on dark black skin, mm-hmm. and we would do. We would do, and they would say, "Oh, you're being a racist for doing." It. I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm trying to say and save you from making this bad decision." Well, this guy said he'd do it. Well, you know, go well, ahead. and go and see what happens, <laughs> right? You right. know, because I just, you know, and I remember at one time the whole black thing was was starting to get crazy. Where Superman. This tattoo artist was telling people that I was a racist. Yeah, I remember that you know? going on. And I, I was, I was like, this is insane. You know, like I'm, that's that's just crazy. That's talk about what is going on. Yeah. And I finally, you know, had to have a talk with this guy. Um, and at the end of it, he was like, "I was wrong. You're all right. You know, like." Um, he was the bad guy that was actually taking advantage of people and mm-hmm. tattooing underage girls and doing all these these things. But, you know, he was calling me a, a racist and, and said that white people should not be allowed to tattoo black people, you know, which is just an, an, it's stupid. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Anybody that's good at tattooing should be able to yeah. tattoo anybody. Yeah. I mean, that's... If you're going to tattoo in Atlanta, you're going to tattoo black people. Yeah. And if you know how to tattoo black people, you're going to do it big, and you're going to work fast, and you're not going to you're not going to slice them up and leave scars. Yeah, and yeah. You're going to make them do the right thing. So, but yeah, so that that's what happened with tattooing. It was extremely exciting. I got to tattoo all over the world. I was one of the first Americans to tattoo behind the Iron Curtain, um, and it made I was on a on the news in in Warsaw, Poland, for being the uh, the first American at the first Warsaw convention. I tattooed in Japan, and um, you know, tattooing did a lot of great stuff for me. You know, so I'm I'm extremely, even though I don't, um, you know, I don't do it really, you know, like publicly and stuff. Right, I'm right. real proud of my accomplishments. Like, you know, Tommy Stegall was saying the other day because. Um, you know, sometimes we, I get, I'll jump in and give my two cents when I see this tattoo war going on on the yeah. internet or whatever. Yeah. And you know, there were things that I was the first, I was the first guy to do the tattoo sketchbook. You know, and people were like, "What is this flash? It's in a binder. It's not colored." You know, it's like, oh, it's just ideas, right? You know, and now it's the norm. But you know, I, I, I think I did bring some new things to it, and. And it was because I was outside of that scene. You yeah. know, my my references, and I would say this all the time to these guys, I was like, you know, it's hard for me to take uh, critiques from you guys. And I don't want to sound like an asshole saying this, 
because it's going to make me sound like I've got a big ego or something. But it's hard for me to take uh, critiques from tattoo artist guys when I've been favorably critiqued by Ray Harry House and then Bernie Wrights and you know I've actually right. hung out with my art art gods mm-hmm. you know and they've said good things to me about stuff that I've done. Yeah, so yeah. I was coming from another world, you know, and I was trying to bring comic book and fantasy art into tattooing and stuff, and it worked. And now it's the norm, you know. So you've uh, you definitely definitely left a mark in tattooing, accomplished a lot of big things. The whole time you're doing this, you're also rocking, whether it's with Super X thirteen or with Gargantua. Mm-hmm. Uh, Playing which, in bands. Which, by the way, and this is not blowing smoke up your ass, Voyage to the Bottom of Laguna Negra is still one of my favorite albums of all time. Awesome. I, I listen to that thing on a regular basis. I wish the, we had more money for production, but I, the songs it's are there. great, man. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a kind of, like, southern rock metal that there's nothing else quite like it. I mean, it, it really stands out. And, well, and you thanks. guys, if you guys were just going to do the one... Well, you know, me and Richard Davis were, I mean, he's like one of my favorite people of all time. We worked together as artists forever and musicians forever. And that was the other great thing that would happen with that black cat. You know, I we we were sitting around in the wintertime when nothing's happening. And this is when the shop was at the height of its power, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, we were like, we ought to, we ought to have a band called Tattoo Shop and, and we could all just play songs about how weird it is to be in a tattoo shop. And we were writing these silly songs. And I came in to work one morning and I was like, I got the name for our band. This is great. Grand Moff Tarkin. And Jim <laughs> Stacy jumps up and he goes, well, I'm Darth Vader. <laughs> and Jet jumps up and goes well I'm Boba Fett and I was like well god damn it I'm the stormtrooper then <laughs> and we started this joke and it ended up becoming this crazy huge thing you know that, that was also that's the kind of stuff that came from that weird group of artists that were hanging out together we yeah. weren't just tattooing and 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 helping to evolve tattooing but we were doing all this other crazy wacky stuff too well and, and that Grandma Tarkin thing I saw a video the other day that somebody had made that was on the internet and I was like Wow, that's that was cool, you know. That was amazing. I mean, that that was. I remember seeing you guys play at the point, and uh, I mean that that's one of those shows that I, I only get to see you once. But that show is going to stand out in my mind forever, man. You don't forget Jim Stacy in a Darth Vader costume no. standing at the front of the stage. And Boba Fett playing fucking keyboard, <laughs> getting thrown into a Sarlacc pit. <laughs> I mean, it was it was amazing, and the fact that you guys got recognized by Lucas, oh yeah, is, is wild. That that you know you're you're here in Atlanta, Georgia, doing that, and and to, for the word to get out in that way. I mean, that that's amazing, man. Yeah, it was crazy. David Prowse. Darth Vader himself told Jim Stacy that he was the best Darth Vader he'd ever seen. Besides <laughs> me, of course. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, we had so much fun with that thing. It was so crazy, but it was such a big project. You know, it took 16 people to move all that stuff around. We, we probably only played 20 shows. Well, actually, and going out of town it was just terrible. After that yeah. show, uh, the point cleared out and... You guys had all the costumes, all the like, 
instruments and like there, I think there were even set pieces and shit oh, yeah. that you guys had. And uh, I don't remember who it was. It might have been Richard w- was just saying, uh, "We got to get this stuff back over to Gems." And I had a pickup truck at the time, and I was like, "Okay, I'll lend a hand." Yeah, back <laughs> when Gems like in you East guys Atlanta. are fucked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. And there was a ton of shit, man. I think there were four trucks. Yeah. Uh, hauling all that stuff back over to his place. It was crazy. So, with, with the, uh, Grand Moff Tarkin happened, which that was, that was a, uh, just the memories of, of that being a thing, you know, and, and that's part of anybody that was in Atlanta, Grand Moff Tarkin is a part of Star Wars history because that was going on when they released the, the special editions oh, in yeah. the theaters. Um, yeah, you guys didn't you guys play? For we played the, movie, uh, we played three different movie theaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the release, because um, it ended up being this thing where you know, look what happened. I started a joke and then it took off into this crazy thing. And and um, as silly as it was, I thought the songs. I really wish we had recorded those songs. Great, because Jim's lyrics are so. Of course, if Jim Stacy does something, he researches it beyond research. Yeah, yeah. And he was more of a Star Wars guy than me. I'm a I'm a Star Trek guy. I'm a classic Trekkie guy. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that world better. To me, I really only like Star Wars, the movie. Mm-hmm. I'll give it to Empire Strikes Back, but um, I'm looking forward to J.J. Abrams taking over and giving me the Star Wars movie that I think that I always wanted. I, I'm know. very curious to see what he does, because that guy has his, his vision... For entertainment, yeah, is incredible. Yeah, well, so far what he's doing with Star Wars is crazy. Like they had to build all these new buildings for their models. Oh man, just seeing all the shots of practical stuff yeah. has got me excited. Yeah, it looks like they're doing. They're only using CGI for compositing. So and and man, so if excited. that's if that's the case, that's yeah. fantastic. Shooting it on film, like sounds great. But uh, but yeah, so. You know, we we worked hard at making fun, catchy songs, and I think they are, and it was a fun time, you know. And I wanted to do it again. J.J. Abrams movies are coming out. I was like, Jim, we're going to have to do it. Oh, my gosh. Because I've be got great. my Stormtrooper suit, and I almost, almost last year, I almost airbrushed it to look like the creature from the Black Lagoon. I was going to oh, make a, a Lagoon Trooper. and uh, But I didn't. And then this J.J. Abrams, I was like, you know, Jim, we got to do this. And he's like, oh, I can't get in that suit again. I, I was like, well, there's your goal. Put that picture of you up there. Yeah, and start, yeah, yeah. You know, we'll start working out and stuff. And he's like, oh, I don't got time for that. But I think we should do it. I think yeah, man, awesome. that would be that would be fantastic. Holy yeah. shit. You got, what, a year? You got a year? Yeah. Do it. I, I think we could do it. <laughs> um, but he's not interested. So, By then, he's going to be such a big TV star. You won't have time. Yeah, no shit. That's how I went by and saw him yesterday, and he's he was like, oh, I got a voiceover thing I forgot about. And I was like, ah, oh, I have to have a voiceover thing. <laughs> yeah. He's got a lot of stuff coming. Uh, so you're rocking, you're tattooing, but at the same time, you are doing haunted houses in Little Five Points. Uh, well, actually, I've always loved haunted houses and i started doing like 3d haunted houses started to be this thing it was this new technology where they had these glasses that you would wear that would make hot colors come at you and deep colors push back Mm -hmm. and i had done some work with netherworld and 
I have Philip Morris, Dr. Evil himself. I got to um, um, build a house in Atlanta for him because I went over there to talk. It was right by the tattoo shop. I walked over there to see if they needed my help. And they're like, no, no, we don't need you. We got this. We got guys from Disney coming out here and blah, blah, blah. And a week later, they came over. Hey, man, can you please help us? This is coming together. <laughs> so I ended up taking over the whole thing and doing this thing that Philip Morris, one of my childhood heroes, was proud of. I ended up building them another one up in uh, Columbus, Ohio. But for a while there, I was traveling all over the country doing 3D haunted house painting because uh, there was this other guy, Stuart Smith. Me and a couple other guys were the only guys that were doing it, really. So I was staying really busy doing this 3D haunted house painting and designing them and stuff. And it was really fun, you know. Sometimes I'd get a pretty big budget to do stuff. Mm. And um, and then finally that led to, over the years, you know, I've been doing haunted houses since I was in art school. I did one on River Street for Huey's Restaurant. We took the restaurant next door, so I had a haunted house on River Street that I did it at 18. It was really Awesome. I've been doing them when I was a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. My my house, my yard was always a haunted house thing, you know. I remember actually trying to after going through the haunted mansion. I did this thing in my backyard where we'd pull kids around in a wheelbarrow through bushes that had hitchhiking ghost drawings pop out at them and stuff. You know, it, man, isn't that, that one of the most inspirational places on oh, the yeah. planet? Oh, I mean, yeah. Look at our whole mansion. Yeah, I, saw your, I was looking at your, your uh, shelves yeah. up there. That's great. We're getting ready. Madeline booked the ultimate vacation from the 20th to the 24th. We're getting to do not, you know, Mickey's not so scary in Universal yeah, yeah, Horror yeah. Nights. But yeah, I love Haunted Mansion. I love Disney. Big influence. But, you know, that led to me creating the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse. Where once again, you know, I worked with Netherworld for a long time, and if I, I would never do a haunted house in Atlanta, like a big one. Mm-hmm. I've done the little parties and stuff. What now? What before we get to AZA? I remember, and I can't remember what building it was in. It was the upstairs of one of the bars in Little Five, and you you crammed a full haunted house. Yeah, it was nine lives. Okay, okay. And you crammed a full haunted house into no space, man. Oh, yeah, but it was a good show. Yeah, it was. And you had, uh, I remember walking by, you know, you had walls set up with windows cut in them and scenes on the other side of the window, even though there's no fucking space to put anything. Yeah. And, like, I, I remember just being blown away because initially, uh, my buddy Pete had told me, like, oh, man, Shane's got a haunted house over there, and it's crazy. And I was like, what, over there? What, are you yeah. kidding me? And he's like, no, you need to go. And I was like, there's no way, what? So, and I go up there, and man, it, there, it blew well, my it mind. crazy. It was wild. Well, we uh, actually, and we did that for many years, and, uh, you know, I was doing them for Masquerade, mm-hmm. you know, with Brian and, and Dean and those guys, and Renee uh, actually worked with me on those houses too. Renee and I, oh, were I didn't always, know that. yeah. And, uh, we did the first X rated haunted house, you know, at the nine lives. Yeah, yeah. You would see like there was an outhouse, you'd open it up and it was full of dirty porn and poop and you'd get poop sprayed on you. And there was, it was in, intense, you know, and of course, here you go, you know, Renee's gone on to build the greatest, triple uh, X haunted house of all time with chambers of horror, you know. Yeah. This year's is, Oh, I'm sure. Man, I'm it's, sure it's, it's great. Solid. Those got at first, you know, it had a rough start, but yeah, it it's ended up being just a beautiful thing, you know. Like, um, 
Leonard Pickle, he's the world's leading expert on haunted houses. Mm -hmm. And he comes down because, you know, he's been, we've been friends for years ever since he saw me doing this work for Philip Morris with the up in Columbus and here and stuff. But, uh, the first year he came down to see AZA and he was blown away. He's like, you know, Shane, nobody's ever done this. This is a new thing. Yeah. Nobody's ever done it before. And I was like, he was like, well, there was kind of something. And I was like, yeah. And I stole it out of your magazine. There was an alien invasion thing they did in England. Oh, I couldn't handle that that shit. That was, that was, (laughs) um, a military trying to get you out of a thing. Oh my and gosh. And he said, you know, and that's where I, I kind of got from that. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, but man, this blows it away. This is a really, you're really doing something that's never been done before. Yeah. You know, and Leonard comes every year and, and he, he loves his show and loves what I, what I've done with it, you know, because I tried to do something different because there was no way I was going to do a haunted house in Atlanta, you know, with Netherworld's got right. the greatest one ever for that format. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I'm not going to do anything that Netherworld's going to do. I'm not going to use animatronics. I'm not going to use lighting effects. I'm going to have it bait. I'm going to have it based in reality. It's going to be a whole different concept. I'm not even going to call it a haunted house. I'm going to call it immersive theater, mm-hmm. you know, so as to not be disrespectful to, you know, Ben Armstrong and stuff, you know, because all those other haunted houses were more like rock and roll parties. We'd even do them at the Echo Lounge, too. At Moody, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nine Lives, and then Jim, Stacy, and Renee and I would do these crazy, you know, we did one one year that was like a tribute to, um, you know, like 20 Leagues Beneath the Sea, and then you went in, there were ghost pirates everywhere and stuff. So we'd always have these fun themes, but when I had this chance to do this thing, and uh really... You know, I've, I've been called a genius for reinventing the haunted house, but really anybody would have probably, anybody in the haunt world would have come up with this idea when I was presented the property. You know, there were things that, ha- as soon as I walked onto the property, the light bulb went off and yeah, I, was, yeah. I saw the logo, I saw the format, I saw everything. And people were like, that scene where you have to have a flashlight to go through the building, it's a, how did you come up with that as a genius? I was like, I'm not a, I'm not a genius. I appreciate that, but there's no power in the building. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I took a, a bat tour in Nicaragua once that involved, you had to have a flashlight and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to use this in a haunt one time. So I got to do all this really lo-fi stuff that was, it was lo-fi technically, but it was kind of high concept in the right. end. So, but you know, Leonard has been coming down for years and, like last year he was like because I was like you gotta go see Chambers of Horror Leonard he's like I'm not going to Chambers I'm not gonna go get peed on and get yelled at again it's a, it's a fart joke in a haunted house I was like no go this year they've upped the game it's amazing mm-hmm. you know I basically it was twisting his arm I was like give it give it a chance these guys have really got it going and he went and he called me later he was like you're right man those guys really are on it now yeah. you know it's got a lot to do with with um you know Luke being able to get all those props from the Walking yeah, Dead right, when they right. shut down. Yeah. You know, but Lucas is you know, Lucas and Renee have been involved in the horror scene here. You know, with me forever. They would help me put on Monster Bash and stuff back in the day. Yeah. So, you know, back when I was trying to pull the whole haunt scene in Atlanta together because there it is again, it's like the tattoo thing. I try to be all inclusive with stuff and and sure uh, AZA and Chambers of Horror 
would work together, but we couldn't get Netherworld in. Nobody, nobody wants to play. You know? Right. So yeah, yeah, really yeah. the only, you know, we're teaming up. We're doing, for Walker Stalker, you know, we were both contacted. And, and Lucas and I talked to you, uh, last week. I said, why would we split it up? Why don't we turn the whole lobby? One side will be AZA. The other side will be um, Chambers of Horror. We'll combine our things to create this great experience when you're going into the Walker Stalker convention. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, you're stronger together. Absolutely. Know? You know, like, make the scene better. That's what I've been trying to do with this horror scene in Atlanta forever since I since I moved to Atlanta, you know? So, so yeah, we're doing that. We're doing combo tours of the haunts and everything. And I, I don't think that happens in too many places, too many towns. The, yeah. the haunts, just like the tattoo shops, they're at each other's throats and stuff. Yeah, but, and I, well, it's more been the thing. October's a long month, man, and the haunt season is even longer. Yeah, there's plenty of time to go everywhere. Yeah, I mean, for me too this year because we're only open Fridays and Saturdays. Oh, really? Yeah, only Friday and Saturday. So I'm going to get to go do stuff. Okay, now cool. we're doing MCW at um, at Chambers of Horror mm-hmm. on the fifteenth, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, that will ha- when this posts, that will have happened. Uh, okay. So it was an awesome show. <laughs> I bet it's gonna be. Um, yeah. So there. Here we go. Here's another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Monstrosity Championship Wrestling. So Stephen Platinum gets in touch with me because he wants to do like, um, you know, he wants to figure out a way to get, you know, my fan base involved with. Uh, you know, Platinum Championship Wrestling and do some stuff with the Spook Show or whatever. Now, did you know the Steve... The Spook Show was huge. Did you know Steve before in any way, or did you... I know, and I don't know how, not? because his wife being a big puppeteer at the Center for Puppetry Arts, and, right. you know, a lot of my friends wrestling for him, I don't know how we weren't friends. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, we hit it off immediately. Yeah, he's a huge horror guy. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's just, he's a huge nerd of everything. Yeah. His brain is just, he's he's got it, you know? Mm-hmm. So... We basically um, met over here one day because I was like, I mean, I don't want to talk shit on wrestling, but after I had been dating Amy for years and had, and you know, me and John Waterhouse were involved with, uh, you know, small independent wrestling, you know, for years. We were putting on those, we we did the wrestling shows, that, we started the wrestling shows at Dragon Con together. Yeah. And, you know, I've been involved in the independent wrestling scene since the uh, mid-90s. But after after dealing with Amy's crazy fans and the, 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 the I kind of got away from wrestling because I got freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. I ended up having to get a fan locked up that was aggravated stalking. This guy did a year for aggravated stalking. He sent me a letter saying he's going to kill himself at the kids' spook show. Holy shit. You know, like, these these wrestling fans, they freak me out. And I was like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I was real weary of it. But Steve and we talked, and I said, you know what would get me involved in wrestling? Because everybody knows it's fake now. But what if we start a wrestling federation that is storylines involving genetic manipulation and time travel and we just take it as far as it can go this isn't anything new john waterhouse and i had talked about it years ago even tried to come up with a pitch down at um turner about this thing long time ago yeah. before i talked to Stephen platinum but um 
Stephen came over here, and in 20 minutes, we had the whole show figured out. I I had come up with Dragula and the Redneck Wolfman and the time-traveling cyborg from the future that knew how the match was going to end, and and he threw in this Wrestling the Invisible Man thing, which we got a <laughs> lot of shit for. Like, the wrestling people went nuts about it. Dude, that was great. But it uh, was fucking great. Yeah. And I, I miss Stephen's gone to Florida and can't help with the show because I think now that we've moved it to... Um, I mean, it got huge. Our, when we took over to Fright Fest at, um, at Six Flags, you know, our, Dude, our, we doubled Ric Flair's and Booker T's numbers. That, you know? that was, that was an incredible experience. And to be part of, I mean, you know, Six Flags, their, their Halloween presence is huge. Yeah. Like their, their part, again, if you grew up here, Six Flags Halloween is part of your life yeah and so for you to be we able to be of that, part of it yeah oh my gosh but now you know what they did now you know the reason why mcw is not at fright fest is because they, they took there, the arena and they put atlanta zombie apocalypse in the arena oh is that what they're doing yeah they're calling it like z yeah, right, or something right, right. but it's basically using um you know stuff from our show and you know chris and shane i'm not mad about it i'm not offended at all you know Unfortunately, I can't copyright an idea, or I'd be, yeah, yeah. me and Johnny and Fred would be, and Jared would be filthy rich. Yeah. You know, we own the word zombie apocalypse. You can't own words, but if the catchphrase of the millennium, zombie apocalypse, is printed on a t-shirt, and it's physical and sold, then they have to pay us. Right. If we cared enough to get our lawyers on it and do all this stuff, but I'm not going to sue some guy in Arkansas that's doing zombie paintball. Right. But, you know, we created zombie paintball. We well, created the zombie, the immersive zombie It's case. inevitable, though. Yeah. I mean, when you come up with something revolutionary, it's it's going to yeah. get picked at. And people are going to figure out ways to, to rip it off yeah. with, without, you know, infringing on trademarks and, or, and or anything. To tell you the truth, I'm not so full of myself to think that at the same time that I came up with that, Knowing how the collective consciousness works, there wasn't somebody in Tokyo or somebody right, across right. the country or some guy in Arkansas that at the same time came up with the idea because I know how these things work. I've written songs and called friends of mine in L.A. to show them the song, and they were like, that's weird, listen to this. Yeah. I mean, we know it happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. But on paper and on timelines... Created the zombie paintball and the immersive zombie attack experience. Yeah. Me and Johnny Ray and, and Fred and Jared. We as a group created this thing that everybody's doing all over the world now. I heard that at Trans World this year, it was all based around zombie paintball and stuff. That's not surprising so, at all. So it's great, you know, and I've got that feather in my cap and hopefully somebody will buy it from us because we're going to close it this year and we're going to sell it all off. What? Yeah, what happened with the facility? Aren't they doing Shell, something with the parking lot or whatever? Shell Oil is taking over the property. Oh, okay. And everybody's like, oh, that must be terrible for you. And I'm like, no, it's great because my poor partners that bought this million dollar property and they let it sit and when they showed up all the pirates had come in and taken all the copper tubing and rendered oh, the place... Shit. It, uh, it's worthless. So yeah, what were yeah, we going to yeah. do? He said paintball. He said, oh, I'll call Shane. He's a friend of mine. He does horror attractions. You know, There's a big hotel there. He, he called me up. He goes, maybe we'll do a horror hotel over here. But like I said, as soon as I got on the property, bing, I saw the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, 
So, so yeah, um, I'm excited that they're selling the property and they're finally going to get paid. Yeah. Because these guys are all like Mensa members that like, you know, Jared should be working on the cure for Ebola, not worried about truck truckers parking there you know what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. uh, you know i'm gonna miss the camaraderie out there and the great things that we've done but i'm excited about doing something else i'm excited about this show that i was working on in my brain before atlanta zombie apocalypse that it's a show i can run with 10 people it's very immersive and it's once again i'm gonna do something that nobody's really ever seen in haunted houses before now uh it's called the Phantasmagorium. Oh, that's a fantastic name. Yeah. And it's going to be insane. And I can do it with 10 people. And and you're you're no stranger to running shows because you had the Spook Show, too, which we hadn't talked about yet. Yeah. Well, the Spook Show is my, out of all the things I've done with my life, I mean, even like my movies and stuff that I've worked on, the, the Spook... Professor Morte and the Spook Show is the top thing I'm proud of because it encompasses everything. You know, as a child, I wanted to be Lon Chaney and Houdini and Alice Cooper. And because of Professor Morte, I am. You know, I get to do these shows. And when Johnny and Gail um, got the plaza, I, I, I saw it in the paper or something. I don't know where I, but I immediately called Johnny and I was like, you got to let me do this thing. I did it on Coney Island and it was amazing. Like I, I started the Silver Screen Spook Show with Mike Decay on Coney Island. We mm-hmm. did this thing. And it was kind of silly and not as well put together. But when I did this thing and I got a hold of John Waterhouse to be Wretch, my sidekick, and Barb, who I'd been working with, they got blast off burlesque together. And it became this, to me, it's the highlight of my artistic career what we did and some people look at it and say it's just this crazy silly show that we did with magic and, and silly jokes now and for, improvisational comedy but i think it's the greatest thing i've ever done for somebody that doesn't know pitch it well spook shows used to be the one of the top forms of entertainment in the country you would go and uh, go to see a movie but there would be a magician or a weirdo mad scientist there that would put on a magic show and ghosts would go out into the crowd it was kind of taken from the spiritualist movement that happened where they were able to do seances and things like that they would incorporate that but they would also incorporate a guy in a gorilla suit to run into the audience and then they'd show a a monster movie and um it was a big thing and i'd always read about them as a kid like wow if only i could do something like this so we kind of did them with the super x 13 thing and alice cooper was incorporating that in his shows in the late 60s and 70s. So, But I think when they got that theater, the vibe in the theater and everything, we really tightened it up and made it what it was. And it was, the the, according to many people that saw spook shows back in the day, saw the best ones, Mm -hmm. said that ours was the best that had been done. It was the funniest and and it really delivered because usually they wouldn't. You'd feel ripped off. Yeah. Just yeah. like haunted houses. Yeah. Usually well, you walk out and you go, ah, I got kind of ripped off. Well, the point is to draw people in, and a lot of the time, especially back then, once you had people in, you kind of weren't as concerned about yeah. entertaining. You just wanted to get their money and get them in the door. Yeah. And But you want to entertain people. Yeah. And we did it. We worked really hard. I mean, we, you know, we had full-size dinosaurs run through the crowd and eat people. And <laughs> Jimmy Bickert once laughed at me, and he was like, 
there was a we showed King Kong and there was a joke where Pandora or Spooks model um, got yanked off the stage by a giant hand. The gag was a five second gag, and I worked for a week on building this giant hand that would yeah, actually yeah. come out and, and wrap around her and pull her off the stage. A life size King Kong hand. And Jimmy was like. What is wrong with you? Why do you work for weeks on a five-minute gag? Like, And I was like, because every kid in there shit his pants when that happened, you know? You know, and I was... I think it's very important. And I tell people all the time this. It's like, it's not just a silly magic show. It's instilling a sense of wonder in kids. I always add an educational um, angle to it. You know, and I've got a stack of letters from parents and children and stuff with parents thanking me there for teaching their kids about stop motion and forced perspective. And I've yeah, got yeah. them sending me videos they made with their Legos of Professor Morte in his laboratory. I mean, and this just didn't happen in Atlanta because I've done the show all over the country. Mm-hmm. So I got it coming from New York and the Midwest and stuff. And it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know? And I think it's important, you know, to help kids get you know, interested in reading and, you know, I, I don't want Lon Chaney or Ray Harryhausen to ever leave. Right, you right. Know, I want people to embrace that stuff forever. Well, so I'm going to work at spreading my gospel. And it's important to know where all the things that we love now came from. Yeah. Like, you, you can't forget the legacy. You know, you, you may look at the new CG Godzilla on the screen, but, like, it was very important to me to take my son to see that in the theater on the biggest screen we could. Yeah. Because I wanted him to remember it. Because we saw Pacific Rim in the theater and it blew his little mind. Oh, yeah. And it blew my little mind. <laughs> <laughs> like that movie, man. But it's equally as important to me to then say, all right, now we're going to check out the old Ultraman. stuff where this came from with yeah. a guy in a suit. That's a guy yeah. in a suit. And somebody made that suit for that guy. Because kids don't think that way. I know I didn't think that way. It wasn't until later in life that I got curious about how all that stuff got made and put together and done. And I want... It's exciting to me to see my son thinking about those things and knowing, like, you know... It did, it's not just one guy standing there in a suit that magically appeared somehow. There there are 30 people involved in that. There's creation... And if that creation is something I ever wanted to do, I could. Yeah. And I do. You know, I got lucky. You know, I got all that from Famous Monsters. It was a magazine that was real popular in the 60s all the way up to the 80s. Yeah. And he would show you how the stuff was done. And, and, you know, um, in my family, you did not leave the movie theater until the credits stopped rolling. Because it's like, oh, look. You know, that's this, this guy, Rick Baker. Is doing that effect. I remember right. my whole family, like my mother, had tears in her eyes when he won the Oscar for wow. it was the first makeup Oscar yeah. for American Werewolf in London. Yeah, yeah. You know that's how um, passionate our family is about dark art and stuff. You know, um, stuff like that was very important. You know, so and it's made me what I am. You know, like it's made me be able to have uh, a you know all these shows on Adult Swim and movies and get to, you know, be like, you know, Rob Zombie called me. How cool is that? Right, you know, right. like, I want, Sh- I want Shane to take a big part of this movie and, you know, because he saw my artwork out at the drive-in and Jim Stacy, who 
he changed the look of Michael Myers when he met Jim Stacy. If you see Halloween 2, Michael Myers is Jim Stacy. Yeah. He's wearing his brown overalls because he said Jim came crawling out of the out of the kudzu. <laughs> and okay, oh shit, here's my new Michael Myers, you know. Yeah. But, but you know, how cool is that? Get a call from Rob Zombie and then after we hooked up, he goes, I had all these money saving ideas like ah oh, no I'm not just gonna do the costuming and makeup I'm gonna cast it cause you know because of the spook show I've got a big group of people here and splatter cinema and all these guys we're gonna be able to we're gonna cast it and we're gonna do um we're gonna do it all and before he was at this meeting some of the producers were like oh no fans that's scary and then when Rob came in and I gave the pitch again he was like everything Shane says Give it to him. Listen to him. He's going to do it. Because I was like, we're not going to just cast this thing and have teenagers sneaking off smoking cigarettes. Right, right. We're going to fill this place with fans. And they're going to want to be there. And even though we're going to get extra extras, they're all treated terribly. Even though they're treated terribly, they're going to want to be there because they're working in a Rob Zombie movie. And and that's exactly what happened, too. Because uh-huh. I, I was down there for one day. I, I actually took a day of vacation from my day job so I could go do that. You're on day one. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think Hopefully, so. Because day two was terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was. I was on day one, yeah. and we did, uh, I think we worked like 16 hours, and yeah. I didn't care, because it was awesome. Because it was I mean, awesome. it was, I'd never done anything like it, I'd never been an extra, but it was what you said, it was all fans, it was all people, I, it gave that movie such a more legitimate tone, because you see Halloween parties in movies all the time. Yeah. And they don't come across like any Halloween party you've ever nah. been to. It's all lily white costumes and, you know, plastic Dracula masks. Yeah. Not, party that, not that there's anything wrong with plastic Dracula yeah. masks, but that's not the party I want to go to. Yeah. You know well, what I Rob mean? Rob was like, I want the most satanic Halloween party ever thrown. And I think, you know, my only gripe with it is that he picked the wrong band. You know, to me, the band is not going to put on the most satanic Halloween party. He should have had yeah. Mastodon playing an evil song in there. Or he yeah, should have yeah. had some kind of evil band playing. That was my only gripe with with that thing. But, you know, I mean, Jesse Dayton's his pal. And he's yeah, and it's gonna, on his label and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it and, worked. And the fact that the band was actually playing for that yeah, scene. they worked. Cool. I got to say this. Um, working with Rob really showed me um, how, why his movies aren't as great as they could be. And I thought he was mad at me because he sent me this really nice message at the end of the production after we wrapped. Mm-hmm. And I sent him a message back saying that um, I uh, thank you. I had a great time. I knew if we ever worked together, we'd be, um, you know, we'd have a lot of fun. But you've got to leave these this group of people, these Hollywood fuckers. you yeah. got to get away from them. you got to make your own movie. And, um, and... I saw him at Mayhem a couple years ago, and it was great. I got to catch up with him and stuff. We got to hang out for a while, and uh, he wasn't mad at me, and he did make the movie, Lords of Salem, yeah, that yeah. he wanted to make, which to me is his best movie. Yeah. You know, and people go, no, it's Devil's Rejects. Um, it's too... It's too much... Those movies are too much like Texas Chainsaw 2. To me, Lords of Salem is a really... 
It's 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 it's, it's just his. the ultimate raw. It's his. It's his. It's his. More more so than anything. And I love Devil's Rejects. It's one yeah. of my favorite movies, yeah. and it is my favorite of his movies. But Lords of Salem, you can well, look at and go. That's, that's his Rob movie. Zombie. Yeah, he wanted to make it and didn't have to do anything. And to me, it would be House of a Thousand Corpses. But to me, it loses it in the last at the end of the last act when everything doesn't look. 70s anymore. Yeah. It starts to look like a Todd McFarlane toy line with all these biomechanics and stuff. And yeah, that, that was, was the just worst Wayne decision. Todd that, having fun, you know. Yeah, that that Doctor Satan having all the the biomechanical yeah. shit was just that. That then you're right. That it took, took me it out. out. Yeah, yeah. Because totally. it was so good up until then. Totally. But then, but I see how these things happen, like him being taken. You know, what something terrible happened on the second day of Halloween too. He was taken off set by an assistant director to shoot a scene with a cow getting hit by a. By a by a coroner's van, and you never do that. There's 267 people in makeup waiting to do this, right? Stuff. And they were so rushed, and I, I blame a lot of that stuff on the ads and stuff. I watched uh, the production designer hit fall out of her chair and start crying on the floor when we watched the dailies because they did not get an establishing shot of the Phantom Jam. Uh. And it, as you know, that was the set. Yeah, it was dude. so big and so crazy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, and I did all, and I, you know, they they rented some big props from the other world and stuff. But all those big paintings that came in and that did was all, all that you. Stuff. That stuff was yeah. huge too. We're talking like it, what, like ten feet by four feet? Some of them. I mean, they're no, like massive. eight by forty. You know, like oh, these shit, giant paintings of Japanese girls getting ripped apart by tentacles and. You know, all this crazy satanic stuff, and it never got shot because the guys that were supposed to be picking up second unit stuff never got it. They never got... Because when we got in that room, we were like, this is like dust till dawn, you know? Like, yeah, nobody yeah. wanted to leave. Yeah. And uh, that's not Rob's fault. He was getting pulled so many ways. Like, I saw what happens that make... That's why I hate working on Hollywood movies. You know, I'd, I'd, much, I'd much rather make another Dear God No than to go and work on some big budget. Yeah, yeah. Then go be working on Ant-Man right now. Right, You know, right. I'd rather stay down in Adult Swim making Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, which we're shooting season two right now, and it's the greatest shit ever. How did how did that come about? They, um, you know, I've been doing so much stuff with Adult Swim. They wanted me to do makeup for the show. So mm-hmm. I went down to meet with them, and during the meeting I realized they didn't have a production designer. So I started pitching all this stuff. And at one point, Chris Kelly looked at me, he goes, this is the greatest meeting I've ever had. And I said, well, give me two days, and let's have another meeting with Dave Willis and get everybody in here. And I went home, and I I drew 50 drawings and did five paintings and just went nuts building this world. And I walked in, and I spread it all out, and they were like, you got the job. So even though, um, you know... Uh, the pay is not great. Yeah. You know, as far as like, I could make a lot more money working on swamp murders, putting, uh, fake ticks on people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's worth it because I get to do all this. They give me carte blanche and I get to like, you get to look at it stuff. and say that's mine. Like, yeah. And you, people look at it and they go, it's Shane's show. Oh, look yeah. at it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and season two is even going to be better. Like, I'm not allowed to talk about this stuff. Sure. Chris Brown is my main partner in this. And um, we are building monsters, full monsters, that they're basing whole episodes around what this monster gets to do when it gets out of hell. And, and we're building this shit, and it's real. And 
we've got more money because we didn't know this at the time, but our I knew our fifth episode took The Daily Show, but our sixth episode took Jay Leno. So we were the highest rated comedy on television without a publicist, Damn. you know, without any help. So because of that, you know, season two is, is different. I'm the only guy they got that came back. They oh, hired okay. everybody. Wow. Except for the directors, of yeah. course. So I got to rebuild my team, and everything is running a lot. It's much bigger, and now that we've built the world, we know how to play in it. Production value went way up. You know, like those little computers that were all, now they're like cast out of foam, and they walk around, and they oh, have no tentacles, kidding. and they do stuff. And <laughs> the craziest stuff is happening with that show. That's great. And it's man. my favorite thing. Like, we're going to... That um, that I've done that involves television or, or movies. It's going to be when it when season two comes out, people are going to freak out. You know. So you've got uh, season two of your pretty faces going to hell coming coming soon. We wrapped in December. Okay. We shoot up until um, we're shooting up until Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. We've had to break it up in blocks because Henry Zabrowski, you know, he left season one and went and did Wolves of Wall Street with yeah, Mars yeah. Scorsese and now he's got A to Z on uh, network television. He's going to be a big star. He's going to be the next John Belushi. Yeah. And all these guys, you know, Matt Servito plays Satan. He's, he's a big guy. Big, you know, he comes from the Sopranos and he's got Banshee, so we got to work around their schedules. But, um, we, uh, and Craig Rowan, is also like all these guys are starting to blow up, so we've got to get them. Yeah, right? yeah. Before it becomes even more unmanageable, because Adult Swim doesn't have big budgets. But I've got um, another show that Chris Kelly and me and Chris Brown have worked on called uh, Too Many Cooks. That that, that should air soon. Alex Orr is mm. producing all this stuff. We're pu- we're really putting a, a big group together. Horror television, like that's a great thing that's happening with. Um, with Pretty Faces, horror television is so hot right now, they use me in a lot of their um, advertising and stuff. So mm-hmm. it really helped push that angle, you know. And, you know, this time, like, Fangoria wants to come down. Chris Alexander loves his show. You know, Rob Zombie loves the show. I had this whole thing. I talked to Rob. I talked to um, Dave Brocky, you yeah. know, about... I had this idea, like, why can't we have, like, a like in Batman, every episode... You know, they're crawling up the side of a building and a celebrity pops out. It was a big deal back Even <laughs> Salvador Dali does. Yeah, it, yeah, you know? yeah. I said, why don't we have a, a you know, some famous satanic person do a spot in hell? You know, I've already talked to Rob Zombie about it. He wants to do it. Dave Brocky would love to have odorous Urungus in hell. Too bad Dave Brocky died right. because now he's not going to do it. But they were like, yeah, if we could afford it. Yeah, because they're making the book, they're making the show on a shoestring. Yeah, well, but, that's know, I mean that's how they do everything the, over there, from what I understand. Yeah, but the other great thing that's happening with season two is season one. I built all these crazy maquettes for the monsters that you see. Yeah, and the VFX co- company would be like, "Nah, we can't take the time to rotoscope that," you know. And and Dave Willis is like, "Why? You know, this is the this is the masturbating spider. Shane made it. It's got a scrotum that drags on the floor, and it's great. You know, hopefully we'll be able to use it in season two because the new effects guys are mm-hmm. on. They totally get it. Yeah, everything that we're doing is real. We take 
the sculpture, mm-hmm. and we shoot it, and then they manipulate it, just like J.J. Abrams is doing with Star Wars. Right, right. We're not building anything in a computer. You know, we're building it, and then we're manipulating, we're compositing it with CGI. Right, right, right. So the new VFX team is great. Like, everything's better. You know, we're stoked. And I, right when you were coming in, I was getting off the phone with my new show that I'm going to be art directing and designing all the monsters for for Adult Swim that I'm not allowed to talk about. Oh, wow. It's going to happen. We're going to shoot it in November, it's looking like. And it's going to be a blast. So I'll have all these shows on Adult Swim and... Um, you know, we're trying to get Frankenstein creative bikers made, you know, dear God, no, it was a huge deal for all of us. We're real proud of it. It's done real well. You know, the Atlanta zombie apocalypse movie. Yeah. What's, when is that? What are you doing with that? It's still on the film festival circuit. We've won seven laurels already. You know, it's blowing up, you know, our script. We loved our script so much for last year's show with the meta haunt. Yeah. That we were like, we gotta, this, we gotta make a movie. That was brilliant. That was interesting because, you know, you, you did just with AZA itself, you, you did something so wild and, and so revolutionary. But then last year to have turned it on its head like that, I mean, that, that really was, yeah. I, I was amazed because you had told me beforehand, you said, I'm not going to tell you anything about this year, but you got to come out, just go, you know, go do yeah. it. And I, I didn't know what to expect, and to start off, yeah, to start <laughs> off, Doctor Frightmare style. Like, this is what yeah, is like, this? What happened? That's so good, dude. Well, Johnny said it. He said if if the thing with the manager happens, where the kids on the cell phone, if people start asking for their money back, we got them. Yeah, that's the that was the magic moment for me. Mm-hmm. If they fall for it to the point they believe that that kid is on the cell phone and the manager's out and pissed, we got them. And I went through the haunt. With uh, Brent, a bunch of guys from Macedon, Skinner comes down every year. He's a big fan of it, and and I jumped in too because I was like, "Danny, you, we caught you smoking pot in here the other day. Like, what the fuck?" I was with the manager too. I'm like, "You know, Ingrid, what is he doing? Why is Danny still on the show?" And Brent's like, "Dude, go easy on him. He's just a kid. Like, what are you doing?" I'm like, "No, I'm sick of this fucker." You know, and Brent's like, "Don't, don't, hey." We're gonna fucking fire him, you know. Come on, and we're walking to that. But you know, it was it was hilarious That's to great. see people fall for that, and then yeah, you know, yeah. then it happened. And so we made the movie, and it's doing great, you know. Like, so are we gonna shoot another movie and do a double feature like Grindhouse, or are yeah. we gonna add another forty minutes to it? Yeah, you know, because to me, it's strong as hell the way it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, oh. I'm dying to see it. But, it looks uh, like a million bucks. Uh, yeah, that would be great just to shoot another feature and, and do exactly that. Just, yeah, just make one longer one. feature out of it. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm, I was so fucking disappointed that when Grindhouse came out, that format didn't blow up. Because when I went and saw that, I thought this is this is going to be a new thing. I love anthology films. Yeah. They're supposed to return. VHS did great. Yeah, and VHS, what both of them uh, were, yeah. uh, you know, they weren't solid all the way through. But that's, that's the great thing about it. Was pretty. The second one with the, the alien shit was I can't handle that stuff, man. The alien, yeah. that's that's my the, the weak only spot. the only weak one I thought was the the thing in the woods with the with the with the thing digital thing in the woods. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But I thought VHS two was really strong. Yeah, of course VHS one Atlanta kicked everybody's ass. Like yeah. Nick Morgan and Blake Myers and. 
I think that was a lot of Blake and, and, um, you know, it, that was definitely Atlanta. Atlanta, you know, it's the horror capital of the world for a reason. I love you know, it. and it, so much crazy shit goes on. Yeah. Here. People used to say, why didn't you go to Hollywood to do your stuff? I was like, Hollywood's going to come to us. You know, Hollywood's going to come to me, you know. Yeah, and that's what's happened. I don't want to be a cog in the machine. I'd rather work for less money and have more control and be working on a project I'm proud of. Yeah. You know, and and I'm lucky enough that I have been able to do that, you know. What's, uh, anything happening with music now? You, I mean, you've got so much other stuff going on. It seems like you've really creatively... We do a reunion every here now and then with these other bands, but I, I do this Black Juju, um, Alice Cooper tribute band where I get to play Alice Cooper and we only play like the, the weirdest stuff like Black Juju and Bow to Dwight Fry and right. stuff that you don't usually hear. And to me, that's huge because I always want to be Alice Cooper, you know. For me to be dressed up as Professor Morte and give Alice Cooper a black juju t-shirt and talk to him about stuff. It's just great, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So we do that. You know, Rock and Roll Monster Bash. You know, one year I lost the Plaza Theater. I lost the, the Starlight Drive-In. Mm. So we're moving the Monster Bash this year to the AZA. We're going to have this big Monster Bash Dust Till Dawn party in there. Oh, yeah, let's put the, that over. November yeah. 1st. November, what, what Saturday, all November on? 1st. We've got... Um, you know, the premiere of the Gunpowder Gray video is going to play on the big screen. We're going to play Dear God No. We're going to play the AZA movie. We're going to play House on Haunted Hill and Amergo. We're going to have, um, you know, the, some of the best bands in Atlanta play. You know, Bigfoot's going to play. Casket um, Creatures. Casket Creatures. Um, Night Terrors, Dusty Booze, Baby Haters, Gunpowder Gray. This band, The Tip, is coming in from Nashville. They're great. We're going to get some of the best industrial DJs and have a horror DJ goth pump room. Um, Garage 71 is going to have a whole carnival in there where they're going to be DJing, um, um, you know, rock and roll stuff. It's got 13 theme rooms with all this crazy shit that's happening. We're opening up a secret laboratory that you need a map to get to at midnight to do a special shot with Professor Morte. Big costume contest. You know, and nobody's ever done a party like this in a haunted house. It's going to be nuts. What I told my wife, uh, it's funny, we were talking about Halloween parties earlier with the Halloween 2 set. What I told my wife when I first heard about this was every Halloween party that you've ever seen in a movie that was like some crazy thing with monsters running around and like too big to be real. Yeah. You you've looked at and thought I've never been to a Halloween parties aren't like that. This is that Halloween this, party. This is that Halloween party. I mean just the 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 painting that I did in the back room. It's how big is that painting? It's got to be 60 by or 40 by 70 feet of these these chorus girls with skull faces and just every room is going to have a different theme and We've been doing these raves out there, and Fred and I were like, you know, I was like, Fred, with your DJ thing connections and with my rock connections, we need to just do rock and roll monster bash out here. You know, it's the last gasp. Yeah, yeah. We're losing the property. Yeah. You know, the day after monster bash, Marta's coming in. They're taking over to Truck Bay. Shell Oil is coming and taking all the parking. So we got to 
start thinking that we're gonna have a big sale. We're selling the Atlanta Zombie Apocalypse. You oh know, my god! The name the, to me, the website's worth twenty thousand dollars. So we should be able to sell the package, all the paintball guns and yeah, the yeah. and the, Absolutely. the zombie helmets. So we want to sell it and we want to see that continue on. Mm-hmm. But um, but without a big space like that, we can't do it. Plus, Johnny and I are ready to do something else. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've done it. What is this year? Five. five? Yeah, yeah. Five, man, five years. Yeah, that's solid. And nobody ever goes out on top. They go out after it's they're bored of being there. Right, and it right. Starts the show. Go out you know, while you're still shining. Yeah, go out while it's still like relevant and hot. And, yeah, you know, like like with like when Amy retired from the from the WWE she's like I'm going to do something nobody ever does I'm going to really retire yeah. at the top of my game yeah, you know, yeah. and it took a lot of guts and she did it and um, we're going to do it with this you know and then I'll find another location to do this little Phantasmagoria thing Phantasmagorium well that's awesome man it sounds like you've really got it going on right now it's, it's like man I got it, it going like on going I'm, good. I'm booked until uh, you know 2015 We've got a, hopefully this movie in spring is going to happen, but, you know, I'm solid booked. You right. Know, I've got three projects right now, you know. So, I'm staying busy keeping the horror alive in Atlanta. Well, that's know, awesome. Or undead, man. you know. Right, right. Spook show's coming back, you know. we're I'm doing a show at Serenby and on the 19th, and then we're going to move it to... The Midtown Landmark and this other place called Cinevision. I'll be presenting Dracula, the nicest print available on Thursday the 30th of October. Oh, wow. At Cinevision. So, you know, the spook show's coming back and, uh, everything's gonna be awesome in Atlanta this year. Well, excellent. Thanks for sitting down and talking, man. Thanks I appreciate for coming it. over. It's been a great time. Great. I choose all the interviews I do, obviously. I, I go after specific people. Uh, when opportunities come up, uh, you know, like with Tim Clark that I mentioned earlier, you know, I'll, I'll do that. But this one, I this I really love this one, man. It's nice to be able to sit down and talk to, you know, a pal who's somebody who I've known for a long time. And, and honestly, we... There's so much more we could have talked about. We could have gone on a lot longer, and I'll definitely be having Shane on again in the future because the guy's just done so much and has so much to say. Uh, but that was cool. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed us being in the same room. That was a very different experience. You know, I've, I've done the convention stuff, and I had the live episode uh, months ago or a couple years ago or whenever it was. But this was very, very cool. I, I understand now why Marin does it the way he does it. It, it just makes a huge difference. I, I think it's a, it moves along better. It's a more fun experience for me and hopefully for you guys. And of course, you can leave feedback on needlessthingssite.com uh, or on the Needless Things Facebook page. Or email phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear. And that's pretty much all I've got for you today. iTunes, Stitcher, needlessthingssite.com. And stay tuned to esopodcast.com for Earth Station Boo. It's happening. I'm working on it. I'm running late, though. I, I need to... 
Matter of fact, I, I need to get to it right now. Immediately. I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.